podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Here we go. Calcio is back. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian podcast. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friend. Adam. Hey, Rory. It feels like it's been a long time, but it's good to talk about football again. But more importantly, mate... You had an epic weekend by look of things on your account. So uh, kind of reminisce with our listeners and viewers. How good a weekend was that for you? It was honestly, so I was just up in the mountains because we had a long time off at Easter. We got like five days off, six days off. It was beautiful. Honestly, I feel like I've come back and my energy is just completely different. I'm like (laughs) rested. My mind has been cleared. And we went up, like, right? Yeah, honestly. And I, I think I came into the office and my boss was like, wow, like your whole thing has changed. Like, not am I just <laughs> a little bit tanned. This is the most tanned I get of viewers, <laughs> listeners. You can imagine I'm so pretty white. But yeah, my whole energy has changed. It's incredible. We were up in the Dolomites. We walked about 80 kilometers in three days. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, we like really smashed it out. Um, we walked the dog for one day because we didn't want to like, it's only a little dog, King Charles. We didn't <laughs> yeah. want to kind of walk her too much. We were like, oh, we'll take her every day. And then we went to the pub the first night, like the bar, and everyone yeah. had massive dogs, like huskies and stuff. And we were like, <laughs> yeah, maybe not for our dog. Um, but beautiful weekend, honestly. I just mm. uh, I could I, I just now want to live there, basically. Waking wow. up to that okay. yeah, waking up to that view every day, it would just never get old. Like waking up in the morning and taking Nana for a walk or whatever. It was like, oh, suddenly I don't mind walking the dog as much when you're like in the in this beautiful scenery. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, I feel like a, a changed man uh, without being overdramatic. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so if you are thinking of visiting uh, Italy at some point, just check out the Dolomites because I think it's not as visited as it should be. Um, so it's a little mm. bit untouched and definitely, definitely worth it. Um, but how was your weekend, Adam? What have you been up to? Very you good, were at Cheddar you. Gorge, no? I was at Cheddar Gorge, Gorge. Yes. Yes, yeah, slightly different kind of scenes to compare to yours anyway, but more English kind of mm. retreat, should we say. So uh, booked an Airbnb down in Somerset Way, took in the local ciders that are dangerously alcoholic, Rory. Because oh, um, the they, taste, they taste like like apple juice but yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they have got a bit of a punch against them so that's one <laughs> of the one things of those, to say about that it's one of those like, i think you don't feel it until you stand up and then you're all bloody on <laughs> your legs like, yeah unfortunately i was the designated driver so i couldn't drink too much but certainly indulged Probably for in the, the evening but it's one of those funny things because you know how they sell it in those kind of parts of the world mm-hmm. it's not in your traditional say bottled kind of manner it's kind of like something that would contain a lot of oil for the car as opposed to maybe scrumpy like so yes (laughs) it was certainly those are the vibes but it was beautiful weekend i suppose in contrast it didn't have it as warm as you had it but it was still kind of 
warm for the UK, mm-hmm. 15, 14 degrees. Nice. So not terribly warm, but warm enough to kind of go out and uh, get the sunglasses out, shall we say. So well, uh, that's it. It kind of yeah. starts to feel like you're making progress out of winter, right? That's the exactly. important thing. Exactly. That is the most important yeah. thing. But guys, we're actually going to talk about some football now, not just about our fantastic weekend. <laughs> we hope you all had great Easter's as well. Exactly. Um, managed to relax and see a bit of the family, etc. But we do have lots of football to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, today we are going to be talking about Champions League action, bust-ups, um, managers doing kick-ups. We're going to be talking about yep. all sorts of stuff. Somebody not scouting in Spain for some reason. Uh, we're <laughs> going to be talking about... Um, we're going to be bringing back the weekly topic, guys. We're bringing back the weekly topic, going back to some old habits. And this week we will be talking about the great news regarding uh, betting sponsors in the Premier League and some rule changes there. We'll be talking that and some interesting scouting in Italy before, of course, reviewing or previewing um, the weekend in the Premier League and Serie A. There's a lot to fit in, guys. But before we start, we did also want to talk about what we alluded to at the beginning, um, a beautiful, beautiful advert celebrating like an advert just celebrating italian football right i don't know what it was for it was just like hey there's three italian teams in the quarterfinals (laughs) you best pay attention like it was just a beautiful (laughs) advert right it was i i I suppose there was a kind of sentiment of i hope there's no egg on our faces after we've done (laughs) this right there is that worry with the italian teams however um it was beautifully choreographed i think is the right word mm-hmm. probably choreographed um, yeah, yeah. yeah however you say it but um yeah nesam dorma in the background fabio capello just standing there having to strut out his kind of limited english it was it didn't sound very <laughs> pigeon like but no, it was no, still no, quite was close to it then you had fabio Cavar- canavaro even should i say on the sidelines kind of pretending he was recording it and then mm. Luca Toni with his celebration oh, I absolutely at love the it. end. I love it was it. beautiful. It was beautiful and it just gave back nostalgia. I don't know about you, but I loved it. Yeah, I'd, honestly, anytime like Ness and Dorma comes on, it always makes the missus laugh because she realizes that I don't think it has the cultural import, even though it's an no. Italian song, it doesn't have the cultural importance or significance that it does in England. Yeah. So she always finds it mad that I'm so attached to this, what she seems as like a random Italian classical <laughs> song. But every time I hear that song, like hairs on the back of my neck straight away, and I'm watching highlights of Italian 90. Italian 90, yeah, I was only one years old, right? So I do not remember the World <laughs> Cup. But even despite that, I get the nostalgia for that tournament just from that song. Um, so that that hooked me in straight away. Yeah. And Luca Toni is like regarded here as like just one of the nicest guys in football. Like everyone just knows he's a lovely guy, incredible career. And I was saying on Twitter, when I do, on the rare occasion I do score uh, in Calcetto, it's always the Luca Tony that comes out. Such a beautiful <laughs> little uh, little celebration. Absolutely love that advert. Great to see Italian teams doing so well in Europe. We will be talking about that. Yeah. But talking about Italy, England kind of, and Europe, both countries have made bids to host the Euros. So England have bid to host it in 2028, Yep, I think. And yes. Italy have bid to host it in 2032. Now, hopefully, both of these bids win. I, I think it's long past due that England hosted um, a tournament. I know we can have hosted the Euros in 2021, 2020, but it wasn't really, right? I think it would be good to have it all in England. And it's not even England, it's UK and Northern Ireland, right? I need to be correct with that. It's UK and Northern Ireland. So there's um, stadiums in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland as well. Um, 
How do you feel about England hosting the tournament? It would just be incredible, right? Imagine it would, oh, Bukayo Saka in his peak, near his peak on English soil. It would be great. It would be... Um, I think it's nice that it also incorporates your countries like your Wales, um, mm-hmm. Scotland, and obviously Ireland is one of them as well, yes, basically. Ireland so, is in there as well. Yes, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's interesting that we've got a combined bid and it feels like that seems to be the going trend now mm-hmm. because I did see also Spain are doing a joint effort with Portugal and Morocco. Morocco, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's an and one. it feels like from what I've seen so far, they have already got a lot of like backing from African mm. nations for that. Yeah. So that's really promising for their bid, making it more attractive versus your equivalents. But yeah, I feel I feel like we should rotate that kind of World Cup spectrum as well. Mm. And it'd be nice to see it back at home for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm also equally, Rory, glad that Italy might stand a chance here as well. I They've got... They've this got so big... much work to do. <laughs> they've got so yes. much work to do. That's putting this... it mildly. <laughs> I, I think this is why they've bid for 2032, right? Because they've gone, right, we'll have Palermo, so Sicily's covered, and we'll have, yep. like, they've tried to do it throughout the whole country. Like, we'll have Campania, we'll have Calabria, and kind of get it across. But we all know how much the stadiums need improving. So giving yep. themselves 10 years is still a pretty tight deadline for Italians, (laughs) but it gives them a bit more of a chance to sort stuff out. I think we are hearing more noise about clubs trying to build their own stadiums now. Yes. And kind of getting that, it will help them catch up with the rest of Europe everywhere, like in terms of level of the league, et cetera, if they get their own stadiums. So that is the most important thing. But I think if there is a concerted effort and if the FIGC are now on board with this, like it gives Mm. them a reason to, support maybe yeah clubs building their own stadiums because they go well we can't afford it but if you want to pay for it and we get some of the money from the tournament then maybe it makes it a bit easier for both sides to come to an agreement and start making progress this is me being super optimistic (laughs) um but personally i would absolutely look like i i see my long-term future in italy now and we've got the winter olympics in milan coming up soon uh which is going to be super exciting and it would be absolutely incredible to see a football tournament in Milan as well to see the Euros in Milan would be amazing so I really 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 hope it happens um how do you feel about Italy hosting it it would be again it's since Italian 90 was the last time they hosted a tournament and the stadiums haven't changed but how do you feel about them (laughs) how do you feel about it I think it's much overdue to be fair Mm -hmm. I feel like Italy have had bids in the past where I feel they've been unjustifiably kicked out of those kind of mm-hmm. qualification yeah. stages of hosting it. Uh, I, I remember the uh, that Poland and Ukraine one, Italy yes. were one yeah. of the finalists for that. And there was a lot of kind of, why haven't we been picked? What's happened here? Has there mm. been money exchanged here? And there was a, definitely a feeling that money was exchanged definitely into the pockets of UEFA for that mm-hmm. Euro championship for sure. But It'd be great for Italy, as you allude to, the infrastructure is needed. Um, it's interesting the kind of lineups that they've got are very much reminiscent of the 90s lineup because yeah, yeah, it was yeah. nice to see Bari mentioned as one of the potential host places. So uh, imagine yeah. that. I feel it's uh, nostalgia is definitely bringing that kind of vibes and helping their bid for sure. They know what um, they're doing, right? They know what they're doing. They know that everybody to play on it. Italian to play on and it. just Yeah, they're just like, you've got to pull on whatever <laughs> trick you've got. And that's like nostalgia and Italy go together absolutely perfectly. Um, so yeah, a long time in the future, we will be keeping on track of it. But fingers crossed, both of the bids win. 
we could do Anglo-Italian in both tournaments. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? At home for both tournaments. <laughs> it would be incredible. It would be incredible. Um, but guys, we are going to leave the opening part there. Uh, that's yes. not the cleanest uh, end ever. But <laughs> sorry. Uh, we're going to leave it there and we're going to actually talk some proper football now. And we're going to do some Champions League review. It was feisty. We'll see you on the other side. And it's officially the other side. Here we go. It is time to talk about Champions League action. There was a lot of it, but there's only one place we can really start. It was the Italian off, North versus South. It was a really intriguing game, I think. It wasn't a goal fest, but properly fascinating. Tactical battles everywhere. Milan keep cool while Napoli lose their heads. Uh, that was kind of the vibe that I got from the game. I don't know mm. about you, Adam, but Milan seemed much more professional, much calmer. And yeah. Napoli, as the game went on, started to get a bit more heated, a bit less disciplined. How did you feel about the game in general? Then we'll kind of talk about how it was won and lost. Yeah, I think the game was always going to be a tight one. We knew that from the very off. And I think what probably didn't help in Napoli's favour was that 4-0 defeat in the league. So mm-hmm. probably gave Milan a bit of an edge going into this game because I feel like if Milan had lost that, potentially you go into this game fearing, you know, we know what damage Napoli could do. But what also benefited, I think, Napoli or particularly Milan, should I say more so, is Osimen. Osimen not being on the pitch really, I felt, had a pivotal effect in terms of how Kfara played, but also how mm. Napoli generally played. And I think Milan seemed to be more streetwise. That was my impression, certainly. And as you allude to, I think with the refereeing decisions, they let it get to them quite easily. And certainly there's... <sighs> I feel there was some debatable calls from the referee. Let's put it that way. And I Mm -hmm. I feel like there's some justified kind of criticism from the Napoli camp around how this match went out because the likes of Kim, for example, his yellow card was not a yellow card. I can't see how if you're getting frustrated and not venting it at the referee, that could be deemed as, you know, being a yellow card personally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure you're also going to talk about Anguisa. I know that was something that uh, rattled you on our WhatsApp group. But yeah, I mean, uh, just in summary, Napoli, I felt just weren't as wise compared to Mm -hmm. the Milan experienced heads. And I feel Pioli did a good job. I think he read what he'd achieved in the league match, brought into this match. He knew the way it was going to be played by Napoli maybe Napoli weren't as streetwise and not as mm-hmm. clever. I was expecting maybe Spalletti to maybe do a curveball. And I think that's where I'm going to allude to with a question yeah. later. But what, what was your thoughts otherwise? I think it's weird because both these teams in theory have as much experience as each other in Europe, really. Like the teams, if you look at the 11s, both of them have been qualifying fairly consistently for the Champions League, mm. more or less. None of them have really progressed this far. But when you well, progress this far before consistently, but when you look at the two teams, it felt like Milan had been here before. It felt like, and it kind of, you know, when you, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, people talk about, you know, Milan are going to get to semi final because they've won it seven times. It's like, well, that doesn't matter because it's not the same team. But then you see a performance like this, you're like, there is like an aura or something, or just like the players 
just in the back of your head, you must know, like, well, this club, we get to Champions League semi-finals. We don't, whereas Napoli, you know you're making history, and maybe that get, plays into your head a little bit more. It just felt like Milan had been there a million times before, but they actually haven't. They're as experienced <laughs> as Napoli. It just didn't look like that. I thought Spalletti was really interesting, because I think Spalletti played it tactically very well. I think he actually did, like, he matched... Milan, and I think you could argue that Napoli were the better team and had the better chances, but Milan never looked flustered. But I think Spalletti definitely tactically did very well, and especially after the sending off, Napoli managed to create more chances. For I know, that's absurd. Like, yeah. And I think Milan were definitely pushing, which helped. Right, Milan were like, right, they're down to 10 men, let's get a second goal, because they know yeah. that one goal isn't going to be enough, enough in Naples. It's not going to be enough. They needed to get a second, but so they were pushing, which helped. But I think Spalletti taking off... Um, who did he take off? He took off... Um, he oh, the strike... Off no, he took of off them, Elmas he? and... Elmas, Zelinski came off as well. So And he brought on Politano. Um, and it completely changed the game. And it managed to create more chances for Napoli. I think tactically Spalletti was really good. But yeah, purely managed to remove Cavada out of the game. And I yes. think... But the reason why Milan have been able to do that so consistently is because they haven't played a single minute against Osimhen yet. Yeah. Like, he hasn't played a single game against Milan yet because he's been injured or he's been suspended, whatever mm. it was. So that means that they can afford to double up on Kavara because you don't have that threat. Yeah, you don't have true. that other threat. Whereas with other teams, you're like, oh, crap, we've got to think about both of them. So I think it's not necessarily purely tactical like genius that means he can shut down Cavalli. It's part of that, right? And Kronich did an incredible job and Calabria was amazing against him. But yeah. it's also a bit of a luxury that Osimhen hasn't been there. So I think yeah. it does need to be mentioned that they've been a little bit lucky as well. And if Osimhen does return for the second leg, which it, they should be filling him with every injection they can get in him <laughs> because they need him for that second leg. They, they, they need him because uh, they won't have Kim now. They won't have Anguissa. That's their whole spine missing if he's not there. But if he if he's not there, then I think Milan go through. If he is there, I think there's a little bit more to be played and, and stuff on his tie. Um, but yeah, he was just a monumental miss. I and mean, Raspadori wasn't even fit. He came no. on for the last 20 minutes. Nothing stuck to him. Like, But they played him because they had to. It wasn't like... They got no choice, yeah. Yeah, they were like, well, we need to put someone on. Put him on and just see if he does anything. They weren't expecting anything there, no. really. Because he's 50%, 70% fit, if you know what I mean. So I exactly. think it was slightly fortuitous for Milan with Napoli's situation, but mm. purely handled yeah. it very well. Can I just also highlight, you mentioned the name, but Krunic, I thought, had a mm -hmm. fantastic game. And what was, I don't, I, I wasn't his biggest fan at the first part of this season, definitely. I didn't feel like he offered much, but certainly what I've seen of him lately is he's definitely being more kind of astute with the way he's playing. Mm -hmm. I felt like him doubling up, not only on that Kvara situation, but what he does cleverly, and I don't know, there's an account that I started to follow called um, Culture 7 Scouting. Um, okay. And he highlighted the performance of Krunic, where he basically doubled up on Zelinski, doubled mm -hmm. up on Lobotka. Yeah. And also what helps in that kind of pivot, I suppose, is Giroud. And we talk about how he's a hard-working striker. You love him from his Arsenal days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I think gets very undervalued about his performance is the fact that he does that defensive duties as well. So mm -hmm. in those kind of pivots where obviously Lobotka drops into that kind of hole in front of the defenders, central defenders in particular, 
basically you had Krunic behind him, but you also have Giroud kind of yeah, in that yeah, forward yeah. front facing aspect. So it makes it doubly difficult. And when he's doing that Krunic to Zelinski as well, I mean, that's the whole part of, I suppose, that central pathway of how Napoli play. This is something I alluded to in our last pod when we talked about Napoli and Milan as well, was how I feel like Spalletti needs to understand or try and figure out a way where they're not reliant on that central kind of Mm -hmm. area. They need to expand it. And I think Kfara, to an extent, he's getting to grips with the fact that he's going to be double tags in that sense. He's he is the man. most marked man in Serie A. This is Everyone's it. terrified of him. Well, exactly. like, right one, so. one on one, yeah, yeah. you can't afford that to happen. Yeah. But when yeah, he's yeah. two on one, he's struggling. And that's understandable. Uh, even I would struggle in like normal football, right? <laughs> two people on me trying to like work a way out of it. Um, but I feel like this is the kind of question I wanted to ask you is, how do you think Spalletti should play in the second leg? Now, I asked this, and for context mm-hmm. of those listening and viewing, I feel Kfara could be more beneficial if he comes off the bench. Or the alternative is, and I know you were like, yeah. um, the other alternative is playing him through the middle if Men isn't playing. Now, we know Men has been guaranteed that it'll be 100% turning up. <laughs> Spalletti's basically forcing him, You're even playing. if he has got yeah. an injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that said, could that be more effective because of the way that Milan have played in this leg, but mm-hmm. also in the league? How do you see it? I think I think not starting him is a very, 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 very brave decision and it could backfire quite quickly because what we've seen as well, especially in the 4-0 at the at the um Armando Maradona, Maradona, yeah. The game got away from them quite quickly. And I think if you don't start Kavala and then the game's gone, the first thing that happens is everyone goes, Why didn't you start Kavala? So I think he kind of has to he, he kind of has to start. He has to start. But I think playing him down the middle is an interesting option because with Cavallo, what we've seen, he's so good on both feet that it gives him the opportunity to just go either way. He has all that space yeah. to either cut it, cut out left, cut out right. He can go where he wants. The only problem is, with that being said, is that again in the 4-0, what we talked about with Napoli is that they would get they were crossing in the box to no one, or they didn't know what type of cross they wanted. And if you have Cavada, yeah. you would need him to have that free role where he goes everywhere and then you lose that focal point in the box. So I think it's, I, I would be more, I'd be more like keen to start with him in the middle, but I still think Napoli would have to completely change the way they play. And you're right, they would have to start focusing even more or focusing more on the wings because Cavallo would be floating wherever he, he wanted to go, I think. Um, but if they could even just have Simeone starting, it gives you that focal yeah. point. It's just that this, in, in typical Napoli fashion, <laughs> this injury crisis has hit at the exact wrong time. Like, exactly. the Scudetto is basically tied up. You've got one big game left in the season, and all your players are out. Um, so I think it is typical bad luck for Napoli. But I think Spalletti does need to think about a plan B, because yeah. Milan have figured him out. Yeah, you, as you said, they doubled up on Lobotka and Zielinski and all that creativity went. They weren't able to move through as quickly as they usually do. And Milan, like they did still have worrying moments. Like despite that, Napoli yeah. still produced some great saves at Amainian. Like yeah. I was talking to one of my students today who's a Milan fan who said, yeah, I don't think there's a single Milan fan who misses Donnarumma. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't give a shit. Like yeah. this guy's incredible. He made some amazing saves. And I think without him, it's one all. 
like yeah. at least because I think Napoli really did create some great chances. Um, so yeah, they did manage to nullify Napoli a bit, but I think Spalletti does need to think of a plan B. That plan B needs to have Osimhen in it, though. He just needs mm. that guy fit. He, he, yeah. They just need to say to you, look, this even if you don't play another game this season, we're going to just play you in the Champions League. You just yeah, need to true. be fit for these games because the Scudetto, we can get through it, right? We can get yeah. through it, but we need you for the Champions League because Napoli have a real, real opportunity to do something. I think like, so, genuinely. Yeah. I think like with that squad, they really do. But we need to talk about the ref very quickly and I'm yep. kind of super keen for, for time. I'm going to try and do it in a minute, let's say. Yeah. Um, that's five minutes, listeners, really. Um, <laughs> the ref had a fucking mad game. Mm. I feel like the Angrisa sending off was super harsh. Now, yep. I don't know if the first foul was a yellow card. I'm still undecided. I think it was, personally. But I, the second one, I'm with the you. The second one seemed to me... I know it was immediately afterwards, but what uh, in a game like that, what the ref should do, I think, is take the player in and go, oi, calm down, you've got one more. That's mm. usually what refs do. Like it, Only when it's Martinelli for Arsenal and he gets sent, <laughs> or he gets booked twice in the same move, does it happen. But I feel like a little bit of common sense there from the ref of just, mate, you've got a book in. This is your last yeah. warning. And also, Teo massively bought that. Like, of course he did, yeah. And, and Grisa didn't really make contact. He went in for the ball. It was a harsh booking anyway. So I think yeah. it's it, it was just completely wrong on all levels as far as I'm concerned. And the Kim um, booking, that's a fairly contested and one header. I can't see any issue there. Yeah. Um, again, my Milan supporting student uh, said uh, he he threw he flew through the back of him. Um, it was I was like, no, he no. went for the ball, he won the ball, he got the ball. That that is a routine centre back winning the ball. Yeah. Um, and then you can say, well, okay, the ref books him for complaining. If a player hasn't fouled someone, right, they're going to be annoyed and you're going to complain if it's then given as a foul. Yeah. You can't then book someone for complaining what isn't a foul when it wasn't a foul. It doesn't yeah. make sense. You know what I mean? I just think he got it completely wrong. And now that means yeah. Kim is going to miss the the, the second leg. leg. And yeah. all of a sudden, from two terrible decisions, that ref isn't going to be referee in the second leg. No. It's going to be a different ref. But from... From the first leg, he's completely affected the second leg with two awful decisions. Yeah. And with yellow cards, you can't turn them around. You can't overturn them, right? There's nothing exactly. you can do. That's it. You're out. So I think Napoli fans could feel super harshly treated there. I'm sure Milan fans are going to say there's plenty of decisions that didn't go their way. I'm sure there was because the referee was terrible. Mm-hmm. I just don't think any of those decisions for Milan affected the game or affected the tie as much as they have or will do for Napoli. Um, yeah. How did you Great. feel about the ref? Yeah, he was too card happy. I, I feel like he was too trigger in terms of stop start. He was mm. blowing for pretty much nothing that I felt was yeah, yeah. necessarily a foul in the first instance. But unfortunately, I think that that was the difference between Milan and Napoli. I think, mm-hmm. as you allude to, Teo bought it. He made a scene out of it. And, you know, unfortunately, it was just that streetwise aspect that Milan have. Mm. They've got yeah. players that will kind of do those fouls or buy those fouls. And therefore, Napoli have to just learn how to deal with those situations. I feel like, yeah, like I alluded to in the early comment, Kim is unfortunate and Grisa unlucky. Unfortunately, though, someone like an experienced head on that team or Maybe Spalletti even should have gone, lads, Guys, this yeah. is the referee. He's going to do this. Mm-hmm. Just try and now turn it the other way 
and yeah, buy yeah. fouls against Milan players. But unfortunately, they've learned their lesson. They take it into the second leg. Unfortunately, not with the same ref on this occasion, obviously. Mm-hmm. But obviously, they're just going to have to work out, like I say, tactically how they can undo this Milan side that seem quite solid at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be a big night for Juan Jesus or Ostergaard, whoever gets picked, because that is going to be big old uh, boots to fill. But we're going to leave Napoli Milan there. I'm super excited for the second leg. Genuinely cannot wait for that. That is going to be a hell of a night. Spalletti has also put out a call to the Napoli fans saying, um, if you don't sing and you don't create an atmosphere, I'll quit. Um, he says it's it's not good enough that the team isn't being supported when we're clearing mm-hmm. about to win the Scudetto. I think it's very, very clever management from Spalletti and absolutely spot on. Yeah. That stadium needs to be rocking. Um, from there, we are going to move on. Should we stay in Italy or go to England? Let's stay in Italy because that stay in Italy performance for now. was incredible, wasn't it? We have egg all over our faces, <laughs> or me. Anyway, I'm not throwing any on yours, Adam. Um, but... I said that there is no way on God's green earth to beat Benfica in Portugal. And of course, Inter go and beat Benfica in Portugal fairly comfortably. Um, yes. It seemed like, apart from a few, again, incredible saves from Onana, made some very, yeah. very good saves. Uh, he's now got the most clean sheets in the Champions League this year. And he's incredible. got the highest save percentage of any goalkeeper in the Champions League this year. He is incredible the, the step up from Handanovic to him is oh. just insane <laughs> insane um but apart from a few moments there i feel like inter managed this game really well and i saw bastoni doing what bastoni does but it yeah. felt like he hadn't done it for ages i saw him running up the wing and put that ball in and i was like he's back i remember he used to do that when the year <laughs> they won the league he was always just marauding forwards Beautiful to see a great header from Barella again, getting yes. himself on the on the on the mm. score sheet. All of a sudden, now every Premier League team wants him, which is just hilarious because you're like, guys, yeah. he's been this good for so long, <laughs> like so Where long, been? <laughs> like he's been good. Um, but a great header from him, and then Rom from the penalty mm, spot ben. after João Mario, of course, former Inter Classic. player, yeah. uh, <laughs> gives away a handball, uh, kind of fairly stupid handball. I think it came off his head first. It was all. But... It was. It's one of those that could have gone the other way. In yeah. Fact. It wasn't clear-cut. I don't think it was clear-cut, but he gives away a handball. Lukaku sticks it away. He does his um, celebration that he now has to do for the rest of time because the first time he doesn't <laughs> do that in that celebration, he's going to get crucified. Um, but he does his celebration and an incredible win for Inter. Inzaghi now has won 75% of the knockout games in his career. Adam, how does he do it? Maybe he just inspires them in such a way. Maybe he plays Nessam Dorma in the background. Yeah, I don't know. There's, something, there's got to be something. Um, but yeah, boy, does he seem to bring it out for these kind of like games that you don't anticipate, especially mm-hmm. as you allude to. Benfica on the form that they've been in the Champions League, we all tipped Benfica to progress oh, yeah. in this like, tie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's anyone that kind of thought, based on Inter's league form that they were going to do anything it's still not Um, one in eight maybe in a home leg but not in a way leg definitely but it was an incredible performance and as you alluded to bastoni he reminded me of 
the term which was Bastoni Carlos. He was given yeah. that nickname when that first breakout season mm-hmm. happened and he was whipping in these crosses. It was ironic that also, as you allude to, Shao Mario, that incident happened from a Bastoni crossed into the yeah. box and then from the far right-hand side, it gets crossed in and then obviously the handball happens. But yeah, just Milan, or Inter, should I say, had a really like kind of a, a outstanding approach. They seem mm-hmm. to be pressing Benfica. Benfica didn't seem to have a clue what to do. No. And, you know, Gonzalo Ramos obviously didn't have a clue up top. He didn't really have much opportunities. And when they did happen, I think they were really scraping the barrel when it mm-hmm. came to those opportunities. Yes, it, you could say it was very close to crossing the line at times, but yeah. Anana was <laughs> superb. And yeah, so was yeah. the defence. They just held out resolutely. I mean, I think Acherby and obviously it was at Skriniar in the middle of defence mm-hmm. didn't really struggle. They didn't seem yeah. to struggle against this. And I was expecting a lot more from this Benfica side, given that their form has been superb, especially in the Champions League. But also that midfield seemed to be just resolute. They worked hard. They had created opportunities. I mean, superb words. I think if only maybe the only criticism could be that Inter Milan's front line need to be a bit more clinical sometimes. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yes, and wow. Yeah. We, we, that's an ongoing scenario with them. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. Inzaghi seems to be inspiring this team to win in cup competitions, which is just crazy. I, if- I like, I, I do have a dream. I have a dream that, and I'm sorry because I really want Napoli God. to do really well, but I need to see Milan, the city with a Champions League semi-final of Milan-Inter. I just oh. need to see it. Because it's just, the city's going to be on, like, electric for the whole <laughs> two do. weeks. There's just going to be a nervous energy everywhere. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> I really hope it happens. I think Inter now really should, touch wood, touch wood, should be in the semi-finals now with a two-goal lead and a home leg coming up. The San Siro is going to be rocking. They need that place. Yeah, Absolutely bouncing. They should be in the semi-final. Inzaghi, I can just, it's just something funny in my head of like Inzaghi Champions League winner with Inter. I can just, there's there's something that I can see about it. I'm not sure why. He does just manage to get these performances out and know how to, how to just get the best out of his team. It's not even tactically changing to suit other things. It's just, right, this is what we do well. Let's do that. Whereas in the league, it doesn't seem as focused. I think, Having Brozovic back in midfield and Brozovic oh, firing so again, like Brozovic yeah. is, it's the first season in his career where he's had injuries and all of a sudden people have forgotten how good he is. Yeah. Having him back fully, like him and Barella just together <laughs> are fantastic. Um, there was an interview with Mkhitaryan after the interview, after the game, mm. where he said those two were the brains of the team. Without them, nothing happens. Like, but seeing Brozovic again running around, doing what he Brilliant. does best, yeah. like winning the ball back, keeping play going, just incredible. And I think that does make a huge, huge difference. Like Inter fans know how important that guy mm. is. Um, and yeah, trying to get Bastoni back to the form he was because I remember when I first came here and when I was first watching Inter, I thought this guy is the next, like he's the next yeah, Nesta. Yeah. He's the next Cannavaro. He's the next biggest defender mm. in Italian football. He can still absolutely do it. I think he's still only 22, 23. Yeah. He's still quite young. Um, he's and we need he needs to get back to that form, and this was a glimpse yeah. of that again. So great to see. And Romelu Lukaku keeps scoring from the penalty spot. I think in Inter could end up getting tricked into buying him. You know, he's kind I of scoring just as the can't. season ends, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. But do you think he'll go back to Chelsea? Because I can't see Chelsea wanting him back. Oh, I forgot he's got a, like. <laughs> 
<laughs> that squad, obviously, we're going to get on to Chelsea, but the fact they've got the Kaku coming back as well <laughs> is just absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, maybe it'll be a second year loan. I can kind yeah, of see a second see year that loan happening. Um, yeah, we will see. But yeah, fantastic win for Inter. Benfica, disappointing. Um, I kind of think that tie might be done. Um, we're going to move and change our focus to Ita- to English, even yes, uh, yeah. English shores. And we're going to start with the big one, Marne, <laughs> the Arne off, Marne versus yeah. Arne, as Bayern Munich, well, that didn't work, did it? Um, Oliver Kahn sacking no. Nagelsmann in order to get Champions League specialist Tuchel in just to get past Pep Guardiola, and it went just about as badly as it could have done. Um, where did this game go wrong, Adam? It kind of got away from Bayern really quickly. This is the thing, though. On balance of play, Bayern weren't terrible. Um, no. But what happened was, apart from Rodri's goal, just a calamity of errors. I mean, Upper Meccano, I think I had a horror show. It was fair to say. I think you even tweeted, what what is what this is guy? Upper like, who is Upper Meccano sometimes? <laughs> because he comes in with this hype and he doesn't seem to show it on these big game yeah. occasions, does yeah. he? Um, but that said, I was a bit surprised maybe with the lineup as well, because obviously Chupa Martin was missing for this particular match. Mm-hmm. Muller was on the bench. On the bench. Like, I would have thought yeah. his experience would have been something to, you know, don't get me wrong, Muller's not your goal scoring forward, but he causes you issues because he's a floating kind of player. He can come into midfield. He can There's go no other player attack. like Muller. There's no, no other player like him. You can't replicate him. I feel like he's a bit like a Gooty. He's a very yeah, underrated yeah, yeah. player. <laughs> yeah. um, but that said, on the balance of play, when you've got Gnabry playing in the middle, he's not used to being the focal point. He's not used to leading that kind of lineup. And you could see they were trying to do intricate passing, which maybe works in the Bundesliga, but not on the big stage games against like Man City, who are very strong. Um, I think it, it probably just wasn't the right tactics and the right personnel. I, I remember having a conversation with Tom leading up to this game about, mm-hmm. are buying the Farmers League... <laughs> team and unfortunately i stick up for them and then they came out with that yeah, yeah. Um, as the goals went in egg, I was like, oh, balls. Well, you talk about egg on your face on the previous one i've got <laughs> egg on my face on this one definitely yeah. unfortunately but yeah i mean i have a man city friend who went up there took in the game and he just said man city were just a level above them they were just a bit more cool. clinical and the thing was he also alluded to they've got a few players that aren't even playing in this particular 11 that could still come in for the second leg. You know, Foden, for example. Um, This is the embarrassing riches of Man City, unfortunately. It's just incredible. But let's talk about Mane and Sane because that is the big story as well because I didn't know about it until it got leaked, obviously. But yeah, it feels like Sane has said some derogatory terms to Mane. Mane slapped him, bitch slapped him, literally. Uh, he's got a cut lip. They've made it up. Um, so it doesn't feel like there's bad aminosity amongst the group. I think they Yeah, they've apologised to the said, group, apparently. Right? They have apologised to the group. But it does feel like Mane might be out of the doors in the summer. Um, could be a good signing for someone, though, right? I think... I thought he started quite well at Bayern and he was scoring a few goals, but then it's just not really happened. I saw a load of Bayern fans just saying how crap he's been. So maybe it's just not really working out. But also this club is not 
being fantastically stable at the moment, which is strange for Bayern because what they are is stable. <laughs> like yeah. they just <laughs> consistently absolutely dominate and never make a bad decision. And now Oliver Kahn, who has been known to make a lot of bad decisions in his private life and professional life, has now made a bad, a really bad decision. It looks like yeah. by being one of the key drivers. It wasn't just him. It was the other. Was it not Hernes? I can't remember his name. But it was him and Khan who decided to bite the bullet, get rid of Nagelsmann, mm. and give Tuchel two weeks in order to prepare yeah. on how to beat Pep. Now we said it when they sacked Nagelsmann. This feels like a bit of an odd one. Um, Tuchel does, you know, he has won the Champions League with a team yeah. that weren't fancied, and it looked like they were kind of taking advantage at a good time. Mm -hmm. But obviously now it looks like it was a bit of a foolish decision. Nogglesman did win every single game in the Champions League. I think they had the best defensive record or the second best after Inter, I'm not sure. Like they they were absolutely killing it in the Champions League. So it Mm -hmm. does seem like a really, really bizarre decision looking back on it now. And now you have this whole fallout in the changing room to get for Tuchel to deal with as well. I think yeah. one of the or one yeah one of the criticisms leveled at Tuchel in the past has been that his um, ability to man manage can be left wanting. I think when he was at PSG, he fell out with a lot of players, or he wasn't able to handle that shit that dressing room. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles this, especially only yeah. recently being in the job. I think there's a lot going on at Bayern now. I think City should really be able to see this through when it was only one nil i was like okay in munich munich can, like bayern can probably get it yeah. done now probably not so much Less i feel so. like city definitely yeah. definitely have enough to see this out obviously every time we talk man city now there's going to be a slight arsenal lens on it and i just sat there absolutely <laughs> petrified at how good they were they just like, oh yeah. frig me we're gonna hold about eight when we play them at the etihad it's gonna be terrifying um they look on believable but me and tom he's getting a lot of shout outs in this episode we were talking about it we were talking about it on the episode uh during the during the match on whatsapp and i was like he always says pep's got no excuse for not winning the champions league now he's got zero excuse yeah like it's and i i said it's shocking that he hasn't won it already right if Mm. milan if uh city do win it will it just feel like oh finally or will it actually feel like an achievement Achievement in the eyes of Man City supporters, yeah. but maybe for Pep, it would just feel like, thank God I've done it. Because it feels it like it's Messi. been something that's been building for him personally because he yeah. wasn't able to do that buy-in. So it feels like he's taken a long time to achieve it with this Man City team that has got this embarrassing riches in comparison mm-hmm. to Bayern Munich and in comparison to Barcelona, it's fair to say. Yeah, but I feel yeah, like... Yeah. He, in fairness, it's just something that's been on top of him for a while now. He's got, I think he has a lot of credit in terms of the way he approaches the game, but certainly I feel like this has been something that's been building on him. But for Man City owners and obviously for the fans, they've been craving this. They've been wanting this to shut up certain people that say, you haven't got a you know a Champions yeah, League, therefore Champions you're not League. a complete club or whatever. And this would be kind of at least they've achieved that. And then you never know. This might help them build that kind of dynasty mm. a bit more, but it's too early to say. I think once they've got one, they'll be happy. I think they'll be they they will feel like they've completed most of football by that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then it's just a question of what's going to happen in the future seasons with other clubs. I think that yeah, that's the yeah. issue going forward. 
Yeah, I think it's. it's it, I think they've got no reason to not win it this year. Really, the only reason that could that they could lose it, I think, is Real Madrid. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't tell Frank, but I think um, they, they, that could be the only team that really stops Man City. I think. Um, but you mentioned the owners, and very very quickly, the Bayern Munich fans unfilled a banner saying, "Man City, you are not a proper club. You have no like you you don't belong yeah, yeah, in football." Just to get it out of the way, I completely agree with Bayern Munich. Um, and in response, the Man City fans sang Sheikh Mansour's name. Now, I I get it, Man City fans. You want to stick up for your club. You want to support your club. I get it. I get it. I get it. But do you have to be so sports washed? Like, you don't have to be the de- like the uber definition of sports washed, right? You can support your club. You can say, no, nah, fuck you. There's loads of dirty money in football. I get that. But you don't have to lick the boot. Right, I just found it really, really distasteful, and it kind of showed the the differences towards fan ownership in England and Germany. Like when you see again, sorry, Newcastle mm. fans, but I'm going to drag you in. Newcastle fans dressing up in Arab fucking really, yeah, yeah. xenophobic Arabic clothes and stuff, and you're like, okay, we do have a bit of an issue in this country about what, where, how much we care about the money in our in our in our game. Um, I think it was really good for Bayern Munich to do it. Um, yes, City fans, they are charging more money for tickets for the Champions League. I know that. And the owners of Man City have done a lot for Manchester, but also look at the prices for rent in Manchester. That has to do with your owners as well. Um, so I think it's a bit of a it's a complicated one, obviously, but I just wanted to mention it because it really, really kind of rubbed me up the wrong way. Mm, yeah, it's a difficult situation. I feel they've had a lot of this in the kind of time that he's owned the club, shall we say. And I feel mm-hmm. they are very protective of what he's achieved. I think what my Man City friend has mentioned is that he's done a lot of good things for the community at large, as he alluded to. And I feel that's why they are very protective. But I, I can understand your sentiments at the same time. They are, feels... like, and my last thought on this, they also, if you look at the land deal that they agreed with Manchester City Council when they bought the club, it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> like, it is disgusting. They've, they, they've, what they've done to manchester in terms of the rental market is absolutely horrific like and it was all Mm. part of this deal to get them to buy the club it's not all clean right but we shouldn't be surprised like we're not surprised um but before i get lots of hate from man city fans (laughs) um i can't be doing with it um to be honest we need to talk (laughs) about the other side of england um and the other side of the english teams in the draw as Master takes on struggling apprentice as Ancelotti hosts uh, Frank Lampard and shows him up not just tactically but by doing a lovely six little kick ups and knocking the ball back into play <laughs> as it fell to him. Is there a cooler man on the planet than Carlo Ancelotti? I don't think there is. Um, no, I'm afraid it's not. He, he just makes it seamless. He does oh, it also without it. sweating. I feel like yeah, he yeah, doesn't yeah. seem like he needs deodorant half the time. It's just like superb. I, although I think he was shitting himself in the second minute when Jao Felix is running one on one against Courtois. That was one moment where you could really? see the reaction afterwards, where he was like fuming. Oh shit! <laughs> fuming yeah, yeah, yeah. Then. That's the only time where I felt like, yeah. oh, he lost his cool dead. He definitely lost his cool, but superb performance by Real. I felt they were shored even before the sending off situation as well. I felt Chelsea had their moments, it has to be said. You know, Reese mm-hmm. James with a cross that kind of got deflected and Courtois claws it before yeah. going into the net. I think that was a very close moment. But it's the story of Chelsea, I feel like there's a whole narrative of what they're doing with that club. We've seen an uh, athletic um 
article now that's come out this evening about the whole Potter situation, which I'm sure viewers and listeners will dive into when they get a chance. But just to break it down very top level, Potter was seen as a soft figure, someone that the players initially warmed to. However, even behind the scenes, there's conversations between the leadership. They didn't know what direction this club was going in. But then you have this situation of players having to get changed in the corridors because there's not enough room in the changing rooms. Um, there's also that <laughs> like kind just, of... Mudrick, just... man, you should have just come to Arsenal. <laughs> you should have just come to Arsenal. Him and Vlaovic forced... now. <laughs> yeah, he was forced to change. In the... Can you imagine a worse... Just the realisation of how angry you'd be at your agent. Like, okay, not only is it going dog shit, I'm now getting changed in the corridor as everyone's laughing in that room. Like, you'd be like... You've got your eight-year contracts. You've got your eight-year contracts. (laughs) Dwell on that. Yeah. Oh, God. They've also extended Enzo Fernandez's contract today as well, you know, to 2032. I think that's where it was joked. Let's just extend it to 30-50, right? (laughs) Two World Cups time? Let's just do that. Um, Yes, well... Chelsea. Um, also, the the story that did um, cheer me up was the rumor uh, that James Corden was involved in the hiring of Frank Lampard, <laughs> which is that makes total sense, right? Oh god! But before we talk Frank Lampard, we need to very quickly, listeners. We're going to go. It's been a while. We're going to blow the dust off the off the door handle. We're going to creak open the door. We're going to see if there's any light left, and we're going to go to Keezy Corner. Keyshole. Now, Adam, you have something to show us. What has the Oracle himself enlightened us with this week? Oh, well, he's uh, jumping on the uh, Frank Lampard PR bandwagon, it's fair to say. So I'm just bringing up onto the screen for those that can watch this episode. Um, But in this tweet, he goes on to say, I failed to see what Julian Nagelsmann knows that Frank Lampard doesn't. If it's a straight choice between the two, I'd go with the legend that knows Chelsea inside out. Not someone who might have a more impressive PowerPoint display, but knows nothing about the club or our league. So, Rory, on that topic, Keys has excelled as per usual. Uh, it's um, like Pete The PowerPoint Pete. display thing is so just absolutely on brand. Like, Richard Keyes neither understands or... <laughs> Or uh, he does not understand what PowerPoint is. He hates it, and he <laughs> never wants to be be encountered by it. I think it. Imagine having to do a business meeting with that guy, and you're trying to present to him, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace. Let's say how little interest that guy's going to show in PowerPoint because they're the only PowerPoints he gets shown. I imagine exactly. what you can and can't touch, Richard. absolutely on point this tweet absolutely love it um we do need to follow this up with the frank lampard quote just in the kind of as as a little um addendum at the bottom um we didn't know real madrid were that good um (laughs) the team that have won five four five champions leagues i can't keep track of how many it is in the last 10 years yeah um 
what do we think about Richard Keyes, Frank Lampard, <laughs> this whole situation? Frank Lampard, is he going to see to the end of the season? Yeah, I think he will. I think he will because I don't think the Chelsea owners know what they're doing. They haven't got mm-hmm. a clue around the direction. But um, to Keyes' point, I think he's lost the plot, really. He doesn't really see the woods for the trees, really, on this one because, yeah, unfortunately... This is a very short-sighted appointment. Unfortunately, this is a very kind of short interim kind of period mm-hmm. like signing. You can see Chelsea getting knocked out, I'm afraid to say. I can't see them overturning this kind of two-leg deficit against Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid will be very streetwise. If they've got the personnel of Modric and Benzema, that's enough. That's sometimes just yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's oh, he's very uh, just goes to show kind of that arrogance that they have against people that are becoming more of a name abroad. Um, if you remember, we didn't even kind of allude to this, but in the um, kind of run up to the Man City match against Bayern, there's that reporter that goes about how they should steamroll this Bayern Munich side, oh, yes. and. This basically stinks of that same arrogance here that we're talking about. Someone that doesn't really watch European football. They know about them, but they don't really appreciate them. Nagelsmann's this 14-year-old spotty you know, yeah. coach that doesn't know really the true ethics of being a footballer. Because Frank Lampard does, right? <laughs> but yeah. let, let's remember how much yeah. the two have won and let's then measure it up and then go, who's the better coach? Who's the better mm-hmm. manager? And it's clear to see that Nagelsmann's more astute, more clever in that department. He might need some time out of the game after that buying experience. But on the balance of play, you kind of go well, what has Lampard done apart from almost get Everton relegated? He hasn't got that on his CV. Didn't get Derby County up because basically the owners paid him whatever he could to get the team up and they didn't Mm -hmm. achieve it in the final. And with Chelsea, didn't really do too much apart from buy a load of players or have some influence in that department. So again, I, I just don't see the credentials. And again, it just alludes to the point that Chelsea's owners have no real idea how to run the club. Well, it's 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 beyond a joke now how badly run that place is. Like, it is baffling. As we said, we talked about the, yeah. from the James Corden thing. Any story could come out of that club at the moment and you would believe it. I think Frank Lampard is just the master. We made a joke about Roberto Martinez falling <laughs> upwards. Like, Jesus Christ, he makes... Lampard makes him look like an amateur. I feel like... in, And I'm sure it happens in other countries as well, where an ex-player will become a coach... And then people refuse to admit that maybe they're not that good. Yeah. Now I feel like the, the example in Italy was like Pirlo, but people quite openly laughed at him and were like, no, this guy isn't very good. I feel like in England, we have this weird thing where we like just don't want to admit that maybe this guy was a good player, but he's not that good a coach. He's not that good yeah. a manager. There's enough now on Lampard's CV for us to be able to say he is not a good manager. And yeah. this whole appointment... It, it absolutely hinged on one thing. It hinged on them beating Wolves, right? Mm. That was huge because this whole thing is about vibes. This whole thing is about can yeah. he get massive changing room on board and keep the morale high, right? Yeah. If he could do that, then maybe this appointment would be able to get them through the season, get a positive end to the season mm-hmm. and they'll finish eighth, whatever, yeah. right? Uh, now that didn't happen. The second that Nunes goal went in at Wolves, the whole thing failed because mm. now everyone's pissed off again. 
and you've got a manager who's tactically much, much worse than Graham Potter, yeah. um, who has struggled everywhere he's been and who now the players know isn't there long-term. So the players are going to be like, do I play for this guy? Like, what? He's not going to be here in six months' time. I don't give a shit. We've got nothing to play for. The whole thing hinged on it getting off to a good start. And now they've lost to Wolves. They're out of the Champions League because, I'm sorry, it's not happening that they turn around Real Madrid. You can clip this. If they turn it over, <laughs> honestly, like, it is not happening. And I think now, all of a sudden, Frank Lampard's going to come out of this, possibly with some negative PR. Maybe. Who knows? But I think the PR machine for him is also in absolute overdrive. And I think, like, Steven Gerrard didn't get this treatment. Not really. I feel like no. people quite openly and quickly went, this guy's out of his depth. Um, so I think it's a bit weird that it's happening with Lampard, but we do know that he has connections in the media, Harry Redknapp, etc. There's lots of people yeah. who are on his side. I just think if you if you came in and managed my club, I'd be shitting myself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I don't know. Would you have him at Wickham? I wouldn't no, want him at no, the Alex. No, I wouldn't want him there. No, no. You're, you're more than welcome to have him elsewhere. Like, he, yeah, he, yeah. I think also when you remember when he got sacked from Chelsea as well. The whole rationale was that he wasn't really much of a man management kind of person. Like he let his coaches do a lot of the work. And when it came to match day, actually, when it came to like the decisions, like the first team players didn't know what they were doing because they were being taught something completely different on the training pitch. And then coming match day, Frank would just say things and do things and look like he's like in control of the whole situation when he wasn't, he didn't have a clue. And it was very evident by the style of play that, yeah, they kept the ball, but that was it, that they were all a possession-based team. You saw it with Everton as well. They were basically a team on vibes, right? Like you allude to, they Uh were basically, he played certain personnel just to get the fans on side. He got them playing attractive football. That was about it. Um, but yeah. he wasn't really astute when it came to those big game decisions. And I, I feel like that was where he was found out at Chelsea, where he could repair his reputation. He could just easily go to a championship club and try and show that he's more than that. But unfortunately, I think that's just gone past by the wayside. I think now. he he's thinks not, he's too I think he thinks he's above that. championship yeah. as well. I think he that's wouldn't crazy. accept a championship job now because I think he thinks he's no. a Premier League manager. Which I'm struggling to think who's going to point him. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not Chelsea, Forest. Chelsea are closer <laughs> to the relegation zone than they are to the top four, so you never know. <laughs> um, but we will, we will see. Um, we're going to leave the Champions League there for now. I think. Um, yeah. An incredible week of action. Um, it all kicks off again next week, right? No rest for yes. the wicked. Kicks off again next week for the second legs. But guys, we are going to have a very quick break, and we're going to come back with our weekly topic we'll see you there hi i'm phil brown and you're listening to the anglo-italian podcast welcome back the most welcomest of backs we've been talking about it for a (laughs) while we are coming back to the weekly topic and listeners the quiz will be returning we're falling back into some old habits the good old habits like a nice comfy pair of jeans and we're starting with the weekly topic now i don't want to have weekly topic it's covering adam's face for the viewers but it's the (laughs) weekly topic it will disappear there we go and what are we talking about this week adam so we are going to be talking about this particular story that i think came about today earlier today Mm -hmm. where the premier league have announced 
that they are collectively withdrawing from having gambling sponsorship on the front of club match day shirts. And for those that are viewing, they can see the tweet that's come out from the Premier League, a bit more of a story about this. Um, so it feels like on this one, Rory, that it's not going to take place until technically the 2026 to 2027 season. However, what they are saying is that gambling companies can still sponsor teams until the 25-26 season. Mm-hmm. So still a bit of a wait until it actually happens. I think the premise is that there's a few clubs that have sponsorship deals, therefore they can't maybe get out of those deals. And ha- that's potentially why we're having to go by this window. But that doesn't still end the potential for these kind of companies to still sponsor sleeves, for example. You've got other kind of companies like crypto companies as well that do sponsor a variation of clubs, right? Um, and they kind of encourage those kind of worse kind of behaviors yeah, as well. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's not completely drilled out of it. However, we have to applaud the Premier League for actually taking a stance, right, and setting a model. Um, It's ironic. It's on the same week that the Premier League have also announced that they are going to consider streaming their games going Mm. forward as well, which could be a game changer if they are looking at the MLS methodology that they're doing right now, which is definitely welcome for everyone's purse strings at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we strictly talk about this gambling stuff um rory what was your first impressions when you saw this story um well my first impression was oh good that will be from next season um Mm. and i thought that would be i thought it would be a bit quicker but without complaining constantly i think it is very good that a first step has been taken um there is a clear kind of okay we're trying to do something about this if i was ivan tony i'd now be worrying a lot because i feel <laughs> like this is leading up to a bit of a big punishment yeah. um because they're obviously trying to make a bit of a show about how serious they are about mm. this so i feel like he could get a seriously mm. heavy uh, punishment but i think it's a good step in the right direction and it's what we want to see we've said before that we disagree with betting like the not betting but the constant advertising the uh glorify the, the glorification of it and the kind of yeah. how much has become so entrenched in like um football culture and how it ruins so many people's lives yeah. i think it does like it's something that needs to be worked on like tobacco advertising alcohol advertising it should be in the same category so i think it's good it's a good first step but hopefully it's not just a pr thing from the premier league and they are actually going to back it up with you know starting schemes investing money in helping people that have gambling addictions or like it's it's thing that it's, it's things that affect footballers as well like i don't know if the pfa actually do it or it's tony adams's foundation that helps players with gambling addictions if you know what i mean i think it's still kind of left to people to figure out and it would be good to see the premier league try and invest some money in it as well to try and help the problem but hopefully it's the first step on a long road that can get us to where we want to go to 26 27 i just think it's a bit too far away i know there's like sponsorship deals that have already been agreed or but it still feels like you could have done it by next season or the season after right yeah i, I feel like there could have been an amnesty where they kind of said right this is a period if you are owed some money potentially then we could use a fund to pot that kind of difference perhaps and maybe put a charity you know i think there's been Mm -hmm. a lot of examples where clubs where they've been ditching various different kind of sponsorship deals they put charities instead highlighting them so that would have been beneficial perhaps 
Um, but I also feel like it, it's not just a Premier League thing, right? So I, I think about how much we're exposed to when it comes to following football. And you think mm-hmm. about like just radio t- uh, shows as well, how they're constantly sponsored by the likes of Paddy Power, for example, you know, William Hill, etc. So it feels like we're always exposed to it as a support as well. So even if you're not seeing it on a traditional match day, for example, you're still kind of exposed to it mm-hmm. every day of your life. So I, I, I kind of maybe pose this question back to you. Do you think obviously that's one step, but it needs to be also followed up elsewhere. So it's not just exclusively to this, but it's also maybe if you are going to perhaps broadcast Premier League, that we require you not to have gambling companies sponsor your shows, et cetera. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, as I said, I think it needs to be kind of along the same lines of the alcohol and tobacco Mm. advertising. It just needs to not be advertised. Like, I know that, like... Yeah, Paddy Power have some great adverts that are very funny. Their their marketing department is amongst the best. Yeah. And you go, oh, I would miss those videos taking the piss out of Arsenal fans or Spurs fans, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it does still glorify what is a pretty dangerous industry. So I think it needs to be, yeah, it just needs to be blanket ban, like alcohol and, and tobacco, basically. Like, you don't advertise it and that's it. Like, if you know what I mean, I think it should be in the same bracket. So... Yeah, we'll see if we ever get there, but um, I think it's um, a good start, let's say, maybe. Yeah, and uh, just one point, and I would love to get him on our pod, but Scott Davis, not a player that many might have heard of, but his player that was basically came through the academy at Reading, um, plays various loan spells at lower leagues, the likes of Oldershot, Wickham Wanderers, Oxford United. I got to know Scott Davis from his Wickham spell personally, and he's since gone on. He's now going around the country, going around youth academies, talking about his gambling addiction oh, wow. and how it got him entrenched into really bad debt to the point that his parents had to bail him out. He also mentions about the time when he was at Reading, where basically within basically a couple hours he'd used all of his wages in basically an hours or couple hours of like spending so he had to brag or get like you know ious from various different players he talks about gambling on the buses you know on the coaches when they went on away days as well and like obviously the players didn't know how bad it was for him and he was talking about how he slept in a car because he had no petrol to take him back like home and it was it's so deep it shows you how the depths of gambling addiction does affect people mm-hmm. and that's a footballer that's someone that was yeah, brought yeah, up yeah. maybe not necessarily exposed to it but he just saw it as a thrill um so i think it goes deeper than just people that follow the sport it's also people that actually play the sport Maybe that's what happened with Ivan Tony. We don't know the full extent with him, yeah, for example. But I think this is an interesting point. And I'd love to get Scott to tell us his story. He has mentioned to me previously in like personal tweets that he'd like like want to, but he felt like he was a bit tired. He said this quite yeah. a few times. So maybe that's another pod in the future. But it'd be good to maybe just get his thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, that's my part on this section as well. 
Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's a good start and hopefully more to come. But Ivan Tony be a little bit nervous about what's in the works because <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to be made an example of. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a very quick little adage in our Italian weekly uh, topic, I suppose, mm. is we're going to be talking about Udinese, Adam. There's something you yes. want to talk about with Udinese and the Pozzo family's incredible scouting. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, for those that have been listening to our pods, you may have or heard about Massimo Maratti and how he was talking about the Pozzo family and how in those kind of early 90s, they had lots of different TVs, Mm -hmm. different subscriptions around the world where they were watching all the talents abroad. Well, um, obviously, Adoji, the classic left back, is due to be joining Spurs at the end of the season. But they have gone and bought a replacement. Now, this is an interesting one, Rory. It is Jordan Zamora, who is a left-back at Bournemouth. He is a Zimbabwean international. Originally uh, came from Charlton Athletic uh, through their youth academy. So they seem to be another club that have got a rich history of like producing these talents. Um, and yeah... Um, they've snapped him up. So he's a free transfer going from Bournemouth to Udinese. Seems an incredible bit of business. I mean, Jordan Zamora has been playing for them on and off this season as well. Um, but yeah, a good bit of business by Udinese. It seems like they've gone about it very smartly, kept that on the radar and, you know, it got announced only earlier this week. So there's a name to look forward to for next season, potentially, Rory. I mean, yeah, Udinese, what more can we say? They're just really clever at this. Yeah, they? they are They are very, very good at this. And it's kind of a trend that I've noticed because keeping an eye on uh, Irish young players and exciting yes. young players looking to yeah, the future for Ireland. They have also, they brought in Festi Obosele from Derby, mm. who was a player who was really highly rated for Derby. He was part of that kind of fire sale that they had to have and they were like thank you we'll take him <laughs> um he's kind of made a few appearances uh for Inez. he's made eight appearances for them so far this season to so starting to work his way into the team um playing as a a, a wing back winger mm-hmm. as well yeah. um and then they signed james abanqua as well who's another defender they signed him on they signed him from saint patrick saint pat's athletic um, he made one appearance for Udinese and he's gone back on loan to St. Pat's for this season. Um, but another player that, again, they brought in with high hopes. And if Udinese think he's good, then I'm getting a little bit excited. I think two Irish players smashing it up in Serie A would be really nice. So I think just a great club to keep an eye on. We all remember when they had the team with like Alexis Sanchez and Di Natale. Mm. They had like that incredible team where all yeah. the players went on and just won everything. I think there was one football manager year where Udinese had the best squad on the game Um, and that that was that Alexis Sanchez (laughs) year Um, so yeah a club that's kind of after a few because I feel like we we always think about Watford and the kind of basket case they are but Udinese are actually pretty stable as a club (laughs) they have a lot of managers because they've got their own stadium now as well right they do have their own stadium Um, because of the Pulsars they do have a lot of managers but they are a lot more stable than Watford Uh, it's kind of interesting Mm. one but I think yeah any players they bring in are worth keeping an eye out on and Tottenham fans be very excited about Destiny Adoji because that guy is unbelievable. He's yeah. so good. He's so good. Been good. He's been one of my favourites in Serie A for a while. So, yeah, if you can get whoever your manager is going to be, um, if they can get a tune out of him, he's very, very exciting times. But he is a classic Antonio Conte signing. Like, and Conte yes. definitely was the one behind that, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
Good. So, guys, that was the weekly topic. Nice and quick this week. Um, but what we're going to do now is we're going to take another quick break and we're going to come back with our weekend previews for the Premier League and Serie A. We'll see you on the third and final side. My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. And here we are. Premier League preview time. Big weekend. Eight games left and Mm. counting. Wishing them all away. Eight games left. And we're starting. The weekend begins on Saturday afternoon, half past one, Central European time. We have Aston Villa taking on Newcastle. Now, Unai Emery getting Aston Villa absolutely firing, winning four in a row and beating him five, up in sixth. Only six points behind fifth place Tottenham. This is an interesting one. They take on Newcastle, Mm. who are up in third, winning five in a row. Um, only on level points for Manchester United, so desperate to try and keep hold of those Champions League spots. This is a massive game. I think it's going to be really interesting on two teams playing good football, trying to get goals. Both teams scoring a lot of goals at the moment. How do you see this one going? It's going to be a tight affair. I I feel like this is, again, a kind of game of chess, essentially, Mm -hmm. because you've got Una Emre, who plays a very kind of methodical, methodical kind of approach i feel like mm-hmm. he's not necessarily like straight down the line i feel like he has a reason the rationale and he's getting the best out of players like we've mentioned in the past episodes leon bailey ollie mm-hmm. watkins seems to be a lot more of a focal point but they seem a little bit more assured essentially in that middle of the park as well as central defense you know concert and obviously ming seems to be getting a tune out of him at the moment um alex moreno on the left hand mm-hmm. side as well he's been very good so one to include on your fancy football if you haven't yes. already done so i have yeah, done yeah. that a few weeks yeah. ago so thank you alex moreno um <laughs> but and more importantly we've also got newcastle side are pushing to be in those champions league spots at the moment i think they will nullify each other to be honest mm. i feel this has got like a draw written all over it but what about you what's your thoughts on this one i think aston villa win I'm going for a home win. I think Aston Villa have been incredible form. Unai Emery has been unbelievable since since he got into the league. I think they're just on a real high. I know Newcastle are in great form, but I just feel like at home as well, Villa can definitely get a massive result here and really put a marker down for this charge for Europe that nobody really saw coming. If you think about Steven Gerrard was manager this season, it oh, feels no. mental. It feels mad. This season is so long. Um But yeah, I think that could be a home win. Um, Elsewhere this weekend, we're going to just talk about the games we want to talk about, guys. There's Southampton Palace on Saturday, Everton Fulham, Spurs Bournemouth, Wolves Brentford, uh, Chelsea (laughs) versus Brighton. One of the three o'clock or four o'clock kickoffs on Saturday, Chelsea have taken it all from Brighton. They've taken their manager. They've taken their head of recruitment. They've tried to take most of their squad but I feel like Brighton are going to take all three points this weekend as they visit Stamford Bridge. Um, this is going to be a game of attack versus defence, I think. Brighton mm. are just going to run ragged here. How do you see this one going? Well, hopefully there's no VAR controversy with this one as well um, because we, we haven't mentioned it, unfortunately, but they are unlucky. Third mm-hmm. time that the Referees Association have had to make an apology to Brighton. The Zerbi has just said... 
what's the fucking point basically that's what the, was the game point was an absolute disgrace yeah, yeah, yeah that was yeah. that was disgraceful but i'm hoping personally based on the balance of play and how brighton have been kind of showing their kind of form recently i feel they've got enough firepower they've got enough strength within the squad to overcome this kind of wounded chelsea is that mm-hmm. the right phrase especially <laughs> off the back of this I, champions league i think he's i think it's wounded like a horse at the end of the grand national <laughs> i think he's like he's putting it's out ready to be sent to the point. glue factory basically yeah, that's yeah. where we are with Chelsea at this moment yeah. Time. but yeah Brighton I feel they've been very unlucky Matoma has been in great form as has Solly Marsh as well mm-hmm. I've been really impressed by him particularly in that kind of attacking sense and also Lewis Dunk for that game against oh. Spurs he was superb as well so I feel like this has got it honest. written all over like I feel this could be a few goals I could see a few goals in this one um, but yeah do, do you feel Chelsea will offer much I think they've got zero threat up front. Yeah. I think Joao Felix, here's my hot take, guys. Uh, Joao Felix is the new Alvaro Morata. He is going <laughs> to move across huge clubs for his entire career, and people each time are going to be confused by how much money has been spent on him. They've already had $120 million from Atletico. Pental. Yeah. Um Chelsea are now looking at buying him, and he's shocked. He's like, "Oh, I'd love to stay in London. Yeah, of course you would. Of course, would. course you would. Yeah. You don't want to go back to Diego. Where are you going to have to work?" <laughs> um, I think he's going to be the next Morata, but I think, uh, yeah, Chelsea have got nothing up front, and Brighton mm. defensively are actually pretty decent. So I think, yeah. yeah, it could be a hard afternoon for Chelsea. Come on, Evan Ferguson, just get get another goal. <laughs> His finish the other week as well. That back heel was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, oh, what a he's player! Very I'm good. excited about him. Um, the late kickoff on Saturday, we're praying for a miracle. Praying for a miracle in the shape of Dean Smith. Is he going to be the hero that delivers the title for Arsenal as his Leicester team go up against Man City in Manchester? We need the mother of all managerial bounces here. Yeah. Um, can you see, is there any hope for me, Adam, or am I just not watching this one? If John Terry can come out of retirement and be in that centre-back partnership for <laughs> Leicester City, maybe, maybe. You never know. Maybe he's drilled something into them uh, during this kind of little week that they've had together. Um, but it's going to be a tough ask. I feel like this has got a game where... Dean Smith can almost write it off in terms of result. I feel like they've got the wow. rest of their fixtures to kind of look forward to. And I I think we both kind of looked at their fixtures not so long ago on our WhatsApp group and gone, they've got a favourable run if they go about it in the right manner. But I feel like with this Man City team, the way that they're playing at this moment in time, it doesn't look too pretty for Dean Smith. Um, yeah, it's a tough ask as well. Tough ask a- for Dean Smith to come into this match. Big old ask. It's a big old ask. But I do need to very quickly say as well now, I don't know if this story was true or not because it seems like someone could have made it up. But apparently, Danny Ward is upset that John Terry has been hired because John Terry was messaging his wife at some point. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's been made up and I've just been fallen for the most blatant lie ever. But I've seen that on Twitter in several places that Danny Ward was like, not that prick. He was messaging my wife last time. I was uh, was about. So it sounds on brand. Uh, So yeah, it could be a rough start down at Leicester already. Praying for a miracle. Um, On Sunday, (laughs) we have West Ham hosting Arsenal. I did today realise that West Ham were playing today, right, in Belgium. And I thought, 
man, playing Thursdays and then a relegation battle at the weekend sounds bloody horrible. Um, it really does not sound like much fun. Um, but that's all I'm going to say on this game because I don't want to jinx it. Let's just no. move on. Um, <laughs> then on Monday night, um, Monday night, we have Leeds taking on Liverpool. It was a fascinating slash hot attack inducing game um the liverpool versus <laughs> arsenal game it was absolutely horrible yep. i hated every second of it um <laughs> but liverpool still not in great form um do you think leeds now they got spanked by palace last weekend right that was not a good performance but do you think pa- uh, leeds can get back to winning ways at ellen road i can see them pulling off an upset here it's not an easy place to go yeah i would say liverpool aren't necessarily in the greatest of forms it has to be said and i feel like gracia will need to get a result at this moment in time because especially if you have any results that go against Leeds and bring them into the relegation fight you know I feel like they're going to need a few points now to just hover above that kind of white line that is the relegation zone at this moment in time um yeah I think Liverpool are there to be got at unfortunately I just I don't know about their firepower up front and that that Mm. that worries me with Leeds I feel like but then that's what's happened for the majority of this season and the past few seasons with Leeds. They just don't have a striker anyway in general. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see this being a draw, though. I could see this mm-hmm. easily being a draw. Potentially Liverpool taking an early lead and then sit back and, you know, calamitous like deflection goes in the way of a Leeds player and he bundles it into the net. So I think that there's something like that that could happen. But, yeah, Gracia, I feel like he's on borrowed time because he w- he's not going to be there for long anyway. He's signed up to the I, end of the season. I feel like he? he has improved them. He has massively improved them. I think, I don't know if he's going to be there next season, but I think he's doing a very good job. That yeah. Palace game was just a bit of an anomaly. I think like, like you, you can't, you can't stop Roy in his free scoring. Evil, I, I, right? I know, I know, right. <laughs> Where this has come from. But <laughs> no, I think it was a bit of an anomaly. I quite like Javi Grazia. I feel like he got harshly treated at Watford like they all do. Um, I feel like maybe Leeds Leeds could get something here. Um, listeners, if you saw me kind of cover my face in shock uh, whilst Adam was speaking, I checked the Europa League uh, oh, results. Okay. Um, Manchester United were 2 0 up against Sevilla. Sevilla. It finished 2 all. Um, own goals from Malassia and Harry Maguire. <laughs> In the 84th and 92nd minute, Harry Maguire own goal in the 92nd minute. The Europa League never, it just always delivers. It never (laughs) doesn't deliver. It's incredible. I just happened to check that. Um, Unbelievable. I wish I'd been watching that. Nice. Um, We're going to go to Serie A preview. Sorry, I had to say it. Um, Serie A preview, Adam, where are we starting so we'll start off with tomorrow evening. So that'd be Friday evening for those that are listening. So we'll start off at 7.45 in European time. And that is Spezia taking on Lazio. We had Federico on the show last week talking about his Lazio side. But Spezia, a team that seems to be doing better of late, um, could be an interesting game given the contrasting season of both clubs. Um yeah, just a word for you, Rory, because obviously Lazio had that fantastic win against Juventus. Obviously, by getting a win against Spezia, could cement their kind of second place in league. Um, how do you see this game going? Because we know Spezia aren't any kind of you know team to be you know kind of assumed to be easy three points, but yeah, it could be an interesting game, right? 
I am pretty excited about this game, and I think it's all about um, Mbala and Zola. Now, we've yes. talked about this guy a lot, but he now has 15 goals and three assists in mm-hmm. this season. So 13 goals in Serie A in total, two assists in Serie A. He's having a hell of a season since he's come back from injury. Um, and I think, yeah, since he's back, he's scored two, three, four, scored four goals and got an assist since he's come back. Um, including a goal and an assist against Inter. So it's all about watching this guy. I feel like Lazio, we've seen they do keep a lot of clean sheets, right? Federico was talking yes. about their defence is has been a lot better this year than it was last year, but I feel like this is a real test for them and he's someone mm. who could prove a bit of a surprise. So I think this is a game to be quite excited about. It's not yeah. one that you'd instantly draw your eyes to, but I think it's one definitely worth watching. Definitely, definitely. So we'll move on to Saturday's game. And there's two games that I want to pull out here, Rory. So Bologna take on Milan, but also Inter taking on Monza. Uh, In the other game on Saturday, we've also got Napoli taking on Hellas Verona. But if we start off with Bologna versus Milan, that's the 2pm kickoff. Um, Thiago Motta doing fantastically well. And as we've alluded to in this podcast, Milan in great form as well. Um, how do you see this game going? Because, again, this is a very hard game to call, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, Bologna have kept a, another team that have kept a lot of clean sheets. Like, and they're, they're now unbeaten in four. And in two of those, three of those games, they've kept a clean sheet, including against Lazio. They conceded two to Salernitana, which is a bit, mm. of a, bit of a mad one. But a team that has a very good record against the big sides this year, so obviously beaten Inter at home. Um, and their home record in general is very good. So I think this could be a real test for Milan. Um, we we kind of said, like, Pioli has managed to turn them around. They are starting to look very, very good again. So I think this is a good test to follow up from that Napoli doubleheader, is to see that those are two big games, right? You've won those big games now. Can you continue it into the games that you're expected to win? Let's see what happens. But I think Bologna and Orsolini could spring a surprise. Well, on that point, Rory Orsolini is suspended for this match. So, oh, bugger. I need for a culture. Just to get that kind of witchcraft on you as well here, this stat might blow your mind here, Rory. Milan haven't lost to Bologna in the last 14 meetings. So, that's oh, 12 Christ. wins in the favour of Bolo- uh, Milan, Jesus. should I say, and two draws. So, not great when you can see Bologna at home. My fancy culture absolutely shagged this week. Osman <laughs> is out and there's no Orsolini. I've got nothing. Simeone is injured as well. I've got oh, nothing, no. people. Oh, no. Um, but as we alluded to, Inter are the cup team, so we expect them to potentially lose this against Monza. However... <laughs> could massively lose this to Monza, by the way. This, yeah. this is an interesting one because you've also got the backdrop story of um, Berlusconi. He's in mm. um, hospital yeah, at, the in hospital at the he's moment. Not doesn't yeah, sound yeah. too great, so maybe they can give him a bit of cheer whilst he's in mm-hmm. hospital at the moment. Um, just looking at, at the two sides at the moment, obviously contrasting seasons, it's fair to say. Monza and 30 at the moment so they've done enough to stay in the league I think at this they've point they've had a very good season they've had a good, they've season. Had a very good season but Inter need the win because they currently find themselves in fifth position they don't want to be outside those Champions League spots even if they do go on to the final Rory even if they even do, go if they the do win it you can't guarantee it you can't guarantee exactly. it not yet Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, yeah, Monza have had a great season. Any season where you get a double over Juventus is a fantastic season. But mm. um, they're definitely on the beach at this point, aren't they? Into having all to play for, into have to get this done, get it done. 
Next exactly. one. Next one. We move into Sunday. Now, there's only one game that I'm going to call out just due to time point of view. It's 11.30 p.m. or a.m., should I say, sorry. Lecce versus Sampdoria. Now, this is being called out because Sampdoria are in desperate trouble at the moment. They find themselves rock bottom at the moment in 20th position. Lecce pretty much safe, but they are in 16th position. I'm just calling it because I think this could be a fascinating matchup. Sampdoria have been playing a little bit better of late, it's fair to say. Um, it's probably Lecce have late. lost five in a row. <laughs> yes, this is, this is the they only are, issue. They are the definition of on the beach. And they need to be careful because they're only five points ahead of the drop zone. And there's still a few games to be played. It's unlikely exactly. they get dragged into it, but they need yeah. to turn that around bloody quick and this is the game for them to do it right but as you said mm. Sampdoria are looking a bit better they are showing a bit of fight they are putting in a shift maybe they could get their second fourth win of the season mm. yes could that happen let's wait and see but so. finally Monday evening as we do possibly our live stream we will see Fiorentina taking on Atalanta which it's an interesting game as well because obviously Fiorentina of late have been doing quite well. They're obviously in the Conference League tonight. Um, they find themselves in ninth position. There are seven points off Atalanta as it currently stands. Atalanta in six. Atalanta have been a bit very hit and miss, it's fair to say, this season um, of late. It's, I look at Fiorentina and the kind of results they've pulled off. They seem to be in a stronger position than Atalanta. I mean, do you kind of echo that? Yeah, well, I think Italiano's had an incredible turnaround at this club. We talk, we seem to talk about it every week, but the fact that he's managed to get like Cabral now has nine goals in the Conference League and five assists. Yeah. Like, no, sorry, five goals in the Conference League, six goals in Serie A. Like, he's starting to get a tune out of him. If he can. St- start getting a bit of that Conference League scoring form into Serie I feel like um, Fiorentina could really, really keep pushing on here. Um, but, yeah, it's they seem to be a bit more in the ascendancy um, at the moment, whereas Atalanta seem to have lost their way a little bit this season. It seems to be getting away from them, and consistency has been the key for them. Like If you look at their last five games, it's lose, win, win, lose, draw. Like They just cannot yeah. get that run of form together, whereas the teams around them, like Lazio, winning and drawing like it just feels like the the consistency isn't quite there um and Fiorentina now unbeaten in five four wins in those five yeah it feels like they could get a bit of a surprise I think it would count as count as a surprise yeah I think so and uh, I've just seen a little bit of spring in their kind of feet they have beaten Lecker Poznan 4-1 and Poznan so yeah they go into this again unbeaten and in good mood Rory it's fair mm-hmm. to say it's good mood but yeah that's your roundup for Serie A there's loads of other fixtures but feel free to uh, have a look at those other fixtures in the meantime as well nice so guys it is time for us to send you off with our customary quote of the week before I do so as in, as I find the quote, please <laughs> do remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. And I've saved it on the other bloody account. Where's the quote? Um, and you can f- subscribe to us on YouTube as well. This is so smooth. Um, <laughs> and we're going to go for the quote from Spalletti that we alluded to earlier, saying, if we have the stadium without any cheering again, I'll get up and go home. 
it disappointed me to see our stadium for a team that's winning the league after 33 years and in a fundamental game to have the calmness ahead of the UCL to see everyone against everyone. It's something I will never understand. It's unexplainable how it got to this point in the return leg for what's at stake. I'll leave. Guys, we will see you on Monday. Enjoy your weekends. Ciao, ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.